especially those that are viewing our service online. We come together this morning to worship the Lord. Before we get into our service, uh, if you would, please take the friendship register, register from the back of the pew and pass it down the aisle so we can have a record of everyone's attendance this morning. Uh, please remember that tonight at 5 o'clock on our evening service, we will continue our uh, review of the 2023 budget. Uh, tonight, uh, Brother J.T. Beard will be sharing some information concerning the food pantry. <clears throat> Brandon Elliott will be uh, talking with us about our youth program for the coming year. And Bo Gross will finish out tonight as he talks about the college program. Uh, so please make plans to be here and hear some of these reports of some of the good things that are going on and uh, the things that we would like to see happen in 2023. If you would, bow with me as we begin our time together. Our Father, thank you for all of the many blessings that you bestow upon us. And Father, as a congregation, we are especially thankful that you have blessed us through the years. Father, we know that there are many people in heaven today because of the influence of this congregation. And we pray that as we look into this new year, that we will be prepared to reach out and to go forward and always carry your word to those that have never heard it. Be with us as we assemble this morning. We pray that you'll be with Brother Doug as he brings our message today. Help us to learn from your word and go out and do the things that you want us to do. These things we ask through Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. <clears throat> if you're singing from the book, first song will be number two. If you're singing from the screen, that ought to be back there, I guess. <clears throat> We praise you, O God.
The next song, He's My King. That's 166 in the book. You're using the book to sing. Gracious Heavenly Father, we again thank you for this beautiful Lord's Day that you provided for us. Father, we thank you for all the blessings that you give us each and every day. Father, we ask that you be with our military and protect them as they protect us. Father, we ask that you be with all the missionaries, especially Dee and Ken as they're on, going on their trips or on the trips. And Father, we pray that much good can come from their, their service. Father, we also ask that you be with the ones that's been mentioned as being sick. Father, be with them, be with the ones that's taking care of them. And if it be thy will, Father, have, have them have that portion of health restored they so desire. Father, we again thank you for our congregation here. We pray that Doug has a fond recollection of the things he studied and presented to us today. Father, let us listen attentively in view of eternity. Father, we thank you for your son who died on that terrible cross for our sins. Father, in all this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Today the song of invitation will be number 509. I will sing the wondrous story. If you're singing from the book, it's 509. The song before the lesson this morning, Oh, Thy Fount of Every Blessing, number 226. 
This morning I'll be reading from Psalms chapter 85, verse 6. Psalms 85, verse 6. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Good morning. It's certainly a, a joy to welcome each of you to our services here. At Boonville, we are <clears throat> deeply honored that you've chosen to be here today, and we are blessed once again to have several who are visiting with us this morning, and we want you to really know that we mean it when we say that we're glad that you're here this morning. You're an honored guest, and it's our goal to uh, be able to meet you and to say hello to you. I hope you won't rush off too quickly, and uh, if you are <clears throat> visiting with us today, we want you to come back and be with us as often as you have an opportunity. On Sunday evening, September the 29th, following our classes, I want all of the teens and their parents and grandparents uh, to plan to attend a devotional period and a brief discussion for a new activity for our teens. And uh, of course, on the 29th, after our Bible classes on Sunday night, we encourage you, if you plan to be a part of that, uh, to bring uh, finger foods and things of that nature, and uh, I hope that you'll be looking forward to that. Let's do remember Brother Ken Forrest. He is coming back this week from Saipan, and I certainly look forward to hearing about the results of his work. Also, uh, Dee Worley is leaving on her mission trip uh, on Tuesday, and we want to continue to remember both of these in our prayers, and not only these, but
all the mission efforts that uh, we support here at Boonville. You know, springtime is a wonderful time of the year. The calendar's right and spring always comes no matter how much winter may want to hold on. There's always a beautiful revival in nature every year, and I think all of us enjoy that. Sometimes when it's blustery cold like it has been in the last few weeks, everything is dead. We may begin to wonder if spring will ever come, but you know, God is faithful, and it always does. Sometimes spiritually, we become somewhat lax, maybe even dead. And in our own personal lives, spiritually speaking, we may wonder if spring will ever come. We may wonder if the trees will ever bud again or the grass will ever turn green in our lives. You know, when we get down spiritually, sometimes we wonder if we are ever going to be revived in our hearts. Now, God wants us to be revived spiritually, but, you know, unlike nature, it depends on us. God takes care of nature, but when it comes to our own spiritual revival, we have to make the decision ourselves that we're going to be revived and renewed, spiritually speaking. I think it's good from time to time to think about the importance of spiritual revival in our hearts. Our text this morning was Psalms 85 and verse 6, which says, Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? In verse 4, he, he talks about the need to be restored again. And so, just like springtime, we need to be restored. We need to be revived. We need to be rejuvenated, and the result being we might rejoice. And when we're in the midst of a winter storm or maybe a tornado, it's hard to rejoice. It's hard to get excited about destruction and the loss of life when things are dead. But in our spiritual lives, when we are revived, when we are restored, the end result is rejoicing. And I think that's something that, that we need as God's people on an ongoing basis. I believe it's time for this congregation here to once again experience the joy, the, the excitement of spiritual revival. And as we think about our theme this year of reaching forward, I think it's important for us to consider what this concept of spiritual renewal and revival ought to mean for us personally as well as the church collect collectively. Now to answer this question as to whether or not we need spiritual revival in our lives individually, and of course revival cannot occur collectively until it occurs individually, let me just ask you some questions. Is your religious expression, for example, the fact that you are here this morning or that you'll be here tonight at 5 o'clock, is it compulsion or conviction? 
Are you here out of obligation or dedication? Is service to God for you a desire or is it more like a duty? Is the best part of worship service for you the beginning or is it the end? Is Wednesday night Bible study or some other opportunity for us to assemble together to worship, is it a thrill or could it be more like a drudgery? And as you answer these questions in your life spiritually, maybe you can begin to see whether or not there needs to be revival in your heart and in mine. You know, these questions, I think, ought to help us to examine our faith and our spiritual zeal and our godliness in order to find out whether the winter storms of life may have driven out somewhat our zeal and our commitment and maybe been replaced by selfishness and indifference. Now, the Bible does say in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. And sometimes, if we're not really careful, we, we do become somewhat indifferent. It may even be to the point where sometimes we wonder if we really care like we should. And of course, when that happens, our commitment, our zeal goes out right along with that. And so for us to find joy, for us to find real excitement in living the Christian life, there has to be revival. For winter to end, spring must begin. That has to be a part of our lives. I want us to all turn to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to be looking there at a few verses in just a moment. You know, sometimes we make the mistake... And we say, you know, revival is only needed in dead churches. Or revival is only needed in churches today that, you know, they're not doing anything whatsoever. No one would probably argue with that. I would argue with that to the degree that it's not a revival a dead church needs, but it's a funeral instead. But, you know, even a, in a church today that is alive and active, it's possible that revival is still very much needed. And I think we can see that from the church in Ephesus over in Revelation chapter 2. You look here at Revelation chapter 2 and, and you notice some wonderful qualifications about this group of Christians. I mean, these are some outstanding attributes that this church at Ephesus possesses. The text says, I know your works and your labor and your patience and how you cannot bear them that are evil. And you tried them that say they're apostles and are not, and you found them to be liars. And you're bearing up and you have patience. And for my name's sake, you have labored and you've not grown weary. And this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which would be ungodliness, which I also hate. And so if you look at these verses here, 
The Bible has a lot of great things to say about this church. When you look at this church, <clears throat> I don't think that it's a dead church in any way whatsoever. As a matter of fact, a, a church that is involved in good works and labor and perseverance and handling aright the word of truth and standing for that which is right and sound and being committed and despising worldliness and taking a stand against that. I look at this church and I see the characteristics and to me, this is a church that would stand head and shoulders above many today. And yet we notice the stinging rebuke that comes to this Ephesian church in verse 4. He says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against you. Don't you dislike it sometimes when a person, you know, makes several good comments about you and, you know, they really compliment you, but, you know, then they throw in the little word but and you know it's coming. The Lord says, you know, I, I want to mention many good things about the church at Ephesus, but... I want you to know that your heart is no longer in it. He says in verse 4, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you because you've left your first love. Now that's why I asked the question in the very beginning. Is my Christianity a compulsion, an obligation? Is it a duty? Or is it a conviction, a dedication, and a desire? Now, it's possible for those that just feel a sense of duty, that just feel a sense of obligation to do good works, just as well as those that have conviction and desire. Both groups can do good things. The church at Ephesus very obviously was doing great things. But you see, your motivation... And your desire make all the difference in the world. He said, nevertheless, I have somewhat against you because you've left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent and do the first works. Or else I will come quickly and remove the candlestick out of its place unless you repent. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. You see, what was being said here to the church at Ephesus could be applied to a lot of churches back in the first century. What was said to the church at Ephesus could be applied to churches today. Now, there are three R's Three words that begin with R that I want to talk about today in regard to revival that's mentioned here in Revelation chapter 2. And I want to spend the rest of our time focusing on these words. These are keys to our revival today, not only as an individual, but also as a church. And if we want to be truly revived in our individual lives and in the Lord's church, 
We need to be very careful to consider these things. You know, first of all, he says here, you need to remember. You know, many times when we are challenged by new work, the elders may get up and remind us to think about what we've done in the past and to motivate us to improve on that in the future. Now, it can be good to remember things the way they used to be. And even though it might be good to look at the past, sometimes we become paralyzed by the past. Sometimes we look at the past and, you know, we kind of get stuck there, don't we? We kind of want to live in the past. We get stuck on our laurels, on the good past that we have. But, you know, that's not what we're talking about right here. Sometimes we do need to look back and we do need to remember and ask an appropriate question. What's happened? As we look back at the past, we ask the question, what's changed? Why is the church here not as strong as maybe it once was or is it? Why are not as many people involved in the Lord's work as they once were? You see, remembering is very important. Remembering is important because it, it brings about the realization of a need. We remember the way it was, if it was indeed better. And by doing so, we can see that things have changed. And then we ask the question, you know, why have things changed? Why are they different? Why are we maybe not as strong as we once were? You see, when we remember the past and see where we were and now what we are, that causes us to examine ourselves. You see, it's important for us to remember where we were in order to become what we need to be. Maybe we can look back and we see that maybe we've become a little bit lukewarm and unconcerned. Maybe we need to remember and think back because we realize the great danger, the destruction of sin, Romans 6 and verse 23. We can maybe realize that, you know, our zeal and our interest in the Lord's work isn't what it used to be. You see, whenever we look back at the past and remember, that can motivate us to change for the future. We need to remember. But there's another thing that we need to do if we want to be revived, and that is we need to repent. Not only must we remember and realize that a change needs to take place, but we need to repent. And again, that's a decision-making process. I have to stop and realize that things aren't the way that God would have them to be, and I need to make some changes. How we need to realize today and understand that the problem, the problem with us is me. Now, if we'll all stop and realize that, <clears throat> we're no longer going to be caught up in playing the blame game. And that's what happens in families sometimes. 
parents blame the kids and kids blame the parents and mom blames dad and dad blames mom and what happens, you know, the problems never get solved. See, as long as you're caught up in finding someone outside yourself to blame for your problems, then you see, you don't have to change. I've heard people say, well, he just made me mad. No, you made the choice to get mad. Well, she just drove me to drinking. No, you made the choice to start drinking. And on and on the blame game goes. As long as I don't have to change, as long as it's not my fault, nothing is ever going to be accomplished. How we need to realize today the problem with us is me. The problem in this church today is me. You may say, preacher, I'm glad you finally saw that. I'm glad you finally understand that. That's not what I'm saying here. Now, all of us need to be able to say the problem with us is me. Now, what that simply means is today is that I'm focusing on myself. I realize today that there are areas wherein I need to change. There are areas wherein I need to improve. And we need to all individually, without exception, be thinking, you know, where can I change? What can I do that will contribute to revival? That just simply means that instead of playing the blame game, that it becomes a team effort. And everybody must be willing to to do their part in the changing if we want true revival to take place. And so we all need to be asking ourselves the question, Lord, is it I? Repentance is very difficult, and yet the result of not repenting is eternal destruction, 2 Peter 3 and verse 9. And also if we want revival to take place in our lives, not only must we remember and repent, but the Bible talks about the need to return in Revelation 2 and verse 5. In the context here, we return to our first love. Having repented and having changed and understanding the fact that, that I'm going to have to do some things differently, I return to the Lord. My zeal is revived. My desire to do great works and the Lord's service is renewed. But you see, as long as I'm blaming you and you're blaming me, no change is ever going to take place. In order for true revival to take place, I'm going to have to admit fault. Now, I want us to go back briefly this morning in the latter part of our lesson and And look at these three R's that we've talked about in just a little more detail. Number one, there has to be the realization of a need. The text says in verse 5, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. I think sometimes it's taken for granted that these folks here at Ephesus had fallen. Now, had they fallen away from good works? No. 
Have they fallen away from being zealous and standing for the truth? No, that wasn't their problem. Well, what was their problem? Well, they had left their first love. They had lost their true motivation. They lost their zeal. They lost their desire. They, they lost their commitment and their dedication. And so here were folks that were really just going through the motions of Christianity, which brought about really misery and not joy. You see, when we stop and remember from where we have fallen, we realize the need to make some changes. Now, a lot of times we think back about, you know, way back then in the good old days, or sometimes we think about our bodies when they were younger, and we think of the strength of youth and health, or sometimes we think about our country, and we think about our nation. We think about the strong values that used to be there, and then we stop and think, you know, where did we go wrong? Or we think about the church, we think about our zeal, our commitment in the past. And whenever we think back, it allows us to see a difference and thus begin to think about some changes that we need to make. Now, I want us today to think about some things that, that will be helpful to us as we remember as we look back on our lives, which will tell us if perhaps we need and I need to be revived spiritually. I want every person here today to ask yourself this particular question. If every member of the church here was just like me, and this is sort of where we put ourselves on the spot, if every member of the church was just like me, what kind of church would this be? If everybody in this church was, was just like me, what would the attendance here be on Sunday afternoon and Wednesday night? If everybody in the church were just like me, would there even be anybody here tonight? Or what if every member of the Lord's church contributed to the Lord just like I do? Would it be great? Or if everybody gave to God like I do, would we maybe just be lucky to pay the light bill? Or what about this congregation's influence? What about the Boonville Church's reputation out in the community? If every member of the church lived the way I lived out in the workplace or at school, if every member acted the way I act and used the language that I use, if everybody dressed like I dressed, if everybody in the church had the same attitude that I have, what would be the influence of this church in the community if everybody was just like me? Or, or what about the spiritual strength and growth and the development of this congregation? If everybody studied their Bibles and they prayed just like me, you know, what would be the spiritual fervor and strength of this congregation? Or what about 
our children in this congregation? What about our youth? What about our young people? If everybody was a parent, if everybody was a young person just like me, what, what kind of youth program would we have at this church? Or what about the friendliness of this congregation? What about its kindness and hospitality? If everybody were just as friendly toward visitors and guests and other people just like I am, would we be known as a friendly congregation? That's why I always like to emphasize the, the three-minute rule. As soon as the closing prayer is said, the first three minutes for everyone ought to be spent searching out somebody that you're not familiar with and go to them and talk to them and let them know that you're glad they're here. And then you go back after those three minutes and you can talk to who you normally talk with. But if everybody was just as friendly and welcoming as I am, what kind of church would this be? Or what about the love and peace and harmony that exist in this congregation? Would there be more or less gossip, criticism, negativism, if everybody was just like me? Would there be unity that exists in this congregation Unity that is strong and vibrant. If everybody did just like me. How many visitors or outsiders would there be here if all other members invited others to the worship services just like I do? How much benevolence and evangelism would take place if every other member acted and responded and serve just like me. What kind of families would make up this congregation if every family was just like mine? If every father or mother, son or daughter was just like me, what kind of families would be here? Now, as we look and think about these piercing questions and we remember and think about where we are spiritually. Are there some changes that I need to make? If there are some changes that I need to make, am I willing to make them? Hopefully, you can say that this church is going to be growing and it's going to be stronger if everybody is just like me. What if everybody here was just like you and just like me. You see, when John tells the church at Ephesus to remember from where they have fallen, he's asking them to go back. He's asking them to look at and to find out about the changes that they need and we need to make toward revival. And this remembering and this repenting must take place if we're going to be pleasing to God. That's why I said a few minutes ago, the problem with us is me. Because you see, that's where real change 
is going to take place. Now, folks, it's easy for me to realize that you need to change. It's easy for me to understand that, that you need to do better. I can see that easily. The difficult part is for me to realize that I need to change. It's very easy for me to identify your, your, your faults. It's easy for me to see your shortcomings. It's a lot more difficult for me to look in the mirror and identify my own. But number two from Revelation 2 and verse 5, not only must we remember and realize the need to change, but we need to repent. If we're lukewarm and indifferent, we need to change. We need to repent. The Lord told the Laodicean church in Revelation 3 and verse 15, he said, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. He said, I wish you were cold or hot, but then because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will spew you, I will vomit you out of my mouth. As many, therefore, that I love and rebuke and chasten, be zealous, therefore, and repent. Now, repentance means to turn. It means to change. Having realized the problem with us is me, then I see that I need to change. I understand that I need to repent. I need to do an about-face. I need to change how I think. I need to change my sorry attitude. I, I apologize for wrong. I confess my sins. I'm the one that realizes that I need to make some changes. Now, certainly, repentance is a very hard command to obey. You see, I, I'm so caught up in the idea of blaming you and seeing your faults it's very hard for me to do an about-face. But as long as I'm blaming you, that lets me off the hook. And what the Lord is saying here, that words are cheap. Someone may say, well, I'm going to do the will of God. But unless you show that by your actions, it won't do any good. Repentance involves actions and not intentions. You know, how many times maybe have we visited somebody. Maybe they haven't been here to worship in a couple of weeks. And, you know, we say that we, we really missed you in our services. And we want you to come back. And they say, well, you know, I know I needed to be there. I really know that I ought to be there. And, you know, I'm going to come back. But the next Sunday, they're not there. Some people will say, I know I need to change. I know deep down I need to do better. But when it comes right down to it, they don't make any changes. Now, some people will tell you what they want you to hear to get you off their back. And then they'll go about and do what they want to do anyway. You see, words are cheap. There has to be repentance. There has to be change. One must be willing to do the will of God even though he may have failed to be obedient in the past. You see, the Lord counts as valuable those that repent, those that are willing to change, not those that 
think that maybe they're perfect and don't need to change. The ones that are acceptable to God are the ones that recognize and see that, you know, I've messed up. I need to change. I need to repent. I need to live differently. You know, Jesus said, I tell you, no, unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. Luke 13, verse 3. Acts 17, 31 says that God commands all men everywhere to repent. And it's God's will that we be involved in repentance. We have to come to realize it's either repent or perish. And therefore, I need to humble myself before God. I need to examine myself, as 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5 says, and that begins with me. Then number three, quickly, having realized the need and repented, I need to return. Verse 5 says that we are to repent and do the first works. We are renewed. We are restored. We put God back into our homes and into our lives. We, we put our hearts back into worshiping God. It begins from the pulpit to the pew, from leadership to every member. We, we put activity and service back into our lives. We renew our dedication and our commitment. We become that living sacrifice that Paul talked about in Romans 12 and verse 1. Holy and acceptable unto God. We realize that we must be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And certainly all of us today need to be concerned about revival. The text says, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you. And for us to be revived spiritually, we must remember, we must be willing to repent, and we must return to our first love. I want to ask you personally this morning, do you need revival in your life? Are you one today that is really and truly committed to the Lord and his church? Could it be today that maybe you need to repent, that you need to change and, you know, realize that revival cannot ever take place unless I, first of all, see the need to change myself. That change today may need to be known publicly, even today. Maybe you're one that is not a Christian. For some reason, you just put that off. Today may be the day that you need to come and become a child of God, demonstrating your faith by changing your life and repentance, by being willing to be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And then you begin that walk with God that's joyful and happy. Do you need revival today in your life? I hope you'll think about that, that this morning while together we stand and sing. I will, blow, I will sing the wondrous story of the 
Supper emblems, if you would raise your hand, the usher will assist you at this time. First Peter chapter 3, verse 18, we read, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. I hope we all understand in this context of this verse 
that Jesus Christ is the just and we're the unjust. It's because of our sins, because of our shortcomings, that Christ had to die on the cross. And because of that, through him, we have access to our Father. Will you bow with me as we bless the bread? Father, we are so thankful for the day that you've blessed us with. We pray that our worship service this morning has been pleasing you, Father, glorifying you in everything that we've done. Lord, at this time, as we remember the cross, as we partake of this bread, which represents your son's body, we pray, Lord, that we'll do so in a way that will be pleasing you, removing the worldly thoughts from our mind. In Christ's name, amen. Let's pray for the blood. Father, we are so humbled and thankful for everything you've given us, but especially the precious blood of your Son, Father. Father, as we partake of this, we pray that we would remember that blood and remember because of our shortcomings, because of our faults, that he had to die on that cross, Lord, and we are so eternally grateful. In Christ's name we do humbly pray. This portion of our worship, we have the opportunity to, to give back. I ask that you please bow with me. Father, you have blessed us in so, so very many ways. We are so thankful. This morning, Lord, as we give back to you, we pray that we would remember that every blessing we have is from you, and everything we have is yours already. We pray we would give so in a cheerful heart, Father. We pray all these things in Christ's name. morning. All right, I just want to ask you, I think I need like one more pot of chili and then there's a few more pots of nacho cheese that I need. There's lines remaining on the sign-up list back there. So please, please fill up that list. That's for next Sunday night. We host the area-wide. Um, if we have those amounts of spaces I have, we'll have just the right amount that we need. Thank you.
You know, January is often a, a time of marking your calendar ahead, and uh, um, I did check all the dates today, so the dates are right. Um, but the, for, for the teenage class in down, the a new quarter, we always try to begin the, the new quarter on a Sunday. So for the teachers and the parents and the grandparents, uh, that new quarter begins on February the 5th. And so that February the 1st uh, on a Wednesday night will be the last uh, class in the old quarter. So that's a time for review or catch up. So just to be aware of that, especially for the teachers. Uh, if you haven't already, please mark your calendar for June the 10th, which is a Saturday. That's our Super Saturday Bible School. If you'll mark it now and begin to uh, plan toward that, then we will uh, have the best one we've had so far. God has blessed us each year. And also, if you haven't already, I'd like to challenge you to consider uh, sending a uh, child, a grandchild, or a child from your neighborhood to a Christian camp this summer, Maywood Christian Camp, which is June the 18th through the 24th, which is session three, Tony Brown's week, and then July 28th or 23rd through the 29th, which is the week I'm blessed to go, which is session eight, or Mid-South Youth Camp. Uh, and I don't have the dates for that, but you can ask Lewis or Sandra or one of the Sweeney's uh, or a host of others, and they can tell you those dates as well. Uh, uh, I encourage you to start planning for that. And the reason why, don't doubt for a second. This message this morning has uh, uh, encouraged me even more. I got a text on the way this morning, uh, on the way here to be with you. I got a text from uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. My um, adopted granddaughter, who started going to camp with Lisa and I when she was uh, six years old, uh, got up this morning doesn't go to worship with us, got up this morning singing camp songs. So I'm telling you, uh, God works in many, many, many ways. So put that on your calendar and start praying about that. And also, real quick, this really nice cross pen was found in the pew right behind where I sit, probably been there a while down in the crevice. It has found a really nice home, uh, but it is not mine. And I, I feel like I should return it to its owner. If this is yours, please come see me. Um, but if you don't, it's, it's in a safe place. But Good morning. I do have a few announcements. And, you know, I tell students all the time, sometimes... People use the same word and it has different definitions. Jordan and uh, Stephen both said they would be quick. One was. <laughs> we had 309 in attendance today. Uh, we're so thankful to see Brother Eddie Mooney here this morning at worship with us. Tina Scales just got out of the hospital. Please keep her in your prayers. Lad's song leading will be meet today at four in the little chapel. Songs of praise will meet today at four in room 209. Just a reminder, we will have classes nursery through sixth grade tonight, but seventh grade and up will meet in the auditorium. Everyone is invited to a bridal shower in honor of Molly Rowland, bride elect of Caleb Moody. Today from 1.30 to 3 in the Annex. And also remember next week immediately following morning services, 
Next Sunday, SALT Team 4 will meet for lunch and fellowship in a reserved room at Catfish Country for their Sunday buffet. So remember that next week, SALT Team 4. And if you will bow with me, we will close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. And God, we know that as we go into this week, there is work to be done. And with that, God, we know that we are the ones that are to do that work because we are your workmanship. Please give us the strength, the courage, the faith, the energy we need to do your will. And we ask you to please forgive us where we failed you. We love you and we thank you and we know that everything we have comes from you. In Jesus' name, amen.